You're listening to Red Nation Online. You're listening to the Paul James and Soccer Podcast. Commentary and analysis by Paul James, former Canadian soccer player, television analyst, coach, and member of the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame. Well, here we are with episode 37 of the Paul James on Soccer podcast. And even though it's December, it's still a busy week in Canadian soccer. The MLS offseason is in full swing for the Canadian MLS teams as Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal all continue to work towards building their squads for MLS First Kick 2012. And there were also some big pieces of news and announcements surrounding several of the Canadian national teams over the past week. So let's start on those topics with the national teams, Paul. There was some huge or potentially huge news surrounding the Canadian national team this past week, with Julian de Guzman telling James Sharman of the score that his brother, Villarreal attacking midfielder Jonathan Guzman, was now leaning towards playing for Canada rather than the Netherlands and is hoping to join the Canadian team for the next round of World Cup qualifying. Julian also stated that Jonathan is also keen to contact Blackburn Rovers striker Junior Hoylett to convince him to join the cause as well. While the majority of Canadian supporters are incredibly excited about the possibility of reinforcing the Canadian squad with two players who would immediately have to be considered among the most talented on the team, others are less than overjoyed about Jonathan seemingly coming back to Canada only after it had probably become apparent to him that he wasn't going to be selected by the Netherlands. So Paul, what's your take on this? Well, first of all, Steve, I think it's the last part you just mentioned there about the people that are, you know, um, frustrated and annoyed, the fact that he didn't play for Canada in the first place. And I would be in that category, to be honest. I think anyone that uh, that could play for Canada was born in Canada and doesn't uh, play for us. Uh, you know, it's annoying, and it's, uh, it's a selfish decision that they make. But I would caution uh, them, however, and we need to recognize where Canada is on the global roundabout. But when somebody says that they now want to come back and play for Canada, I think you know you have to uh, do it with open arms. I think you have to let them uh, come back and play and be happy about it. And then on that particular player, whoever it is, and hopefully it's Jonathan de Guzman, you need to close the door on it. We need to accept it, and then we need to uh, you know we we need to accept that he didn't select Canada at the beginning, but uh, eventually did. And then um, you know if he comes in with a good attitude, I think this, that's really important that he doesn't have. Uh, too big an ego that he comes in like everybody else and competes and plays. It's not a guarantee to uh, to play or to start. That's the approach it should be. But uh, clearly, I mean, I watched him a month ago. He was on uh, TV playing for Villarreal, and it was he was amazing. I mean, he was really terrific. I thought. So uh, you know, quite frankly, in a nutshell, I'm excited about it. I uh, I'm a bit edgy on the uh, when Julian says he's leaning towards Canada. Well, it's one or the other. You know, so I'm hoping now with uh, the release of that, they've done that uh, for a very specific reason. The Guzman family have gone on the score and said that. I think they're sort of uh, um, feeling out what the uh, what the response would be. The response from uh, the majority of fans has been very positive. For uh, Paul James' response would be, I think it's outstanding. I think it would be great. And um, you know, to be fair, really, uh, really like uh, Jonathan De Guzman, and I, we just don't have the depth. We have to be able to get and persuade and try and get uh, you know anyone that's Canadian to play for us and uh, not be lost to other countries and if we have to get uh, you know down there and uh, fly over and meet him to uh, do that final bit of selling then you need to do that but um, 
you know, the risk with doing that, Stephen Harvey's get on a plane, is, is that, you know, it, it overinflates then the, uh, the value and the ego of the player if they're not balanced, and they can come in and be, uh, you know, be the uh, prima donna type approach. So that's where there's a, maybe a limitation there, but um, if he comes in with a, with a great attitude and, uh, you know, really buys into uh, the World Cup campaign, then I think it's, uh, it's, a, real, it's a real get for Canada, and um, you know, I'm sure Stephen Hart will be very happy about it. Yeah, I mean, he, people forget he, he's still a young player, and I guess, you know, a lot of people might be hoping that, you know, it's a sign of his maturity that he's actually come around. Um, I do also have to say that, um, you know, he did actually go on the radio following uh, Julian's announcement on a Vancouver radio show, and um, and did say that he, himself, that he does want to play for Canada. The issue with him is, is, um, is more technical in nature with respect to whether he still qualifies. Um, he holds a... Um, a Netherlands passport now, and I guess you know, being in the EU, that helps facilitate his playing um, in European countries. So he doesn't want to give that up. Yeah, so it's well, there's a couple of things you said there, Steve. First of all, you said it's about a maturity thing. I, I don't think it comes down to a maturity thing. I think it comes down to uh, a selfish decision. I mean, when players make these uh, decisions, I mean, not just Jonathan de Guzman, it's uh, you know, many players around the world uh, are now have been in that position, and they've uh, gone and chose one country or another for uh, for selfish reasons. So, you know, it really is that. And I, I definitely accept the fans to turn around and say, well, now Holland doesn't want too much to play for Canada. And I think they're right on it. The, the bottom line is, though, is that we need to get over that quickly because we are where we are. And we need that kind of a talent if it's available. I'm sure Stephen Hart is excited about it. So I didn't hear that interview, Steve. If you're saying that that's the case, that's great news. And so now you need to go and do whatever you can, go to the Canadian government and get that sorted out as quickly as possible. He needs to be... Uh, playing for Canada in some of these exhibition games coming up in the new year, I would say uh, I would say that's great, great news. It's been a, a real good uh, week for uh, Canadian news, I would say. Yeah, another interesting fact about uh, Jonathan de Guzman and Junior Hoyleter is that they are 24 years old and 21 years old, respectively. So these would not simply be acquisitions for this current World Cup qualification, but would immediately they'd become cornerstones for the program for the next 10 years. Yeah, now, and hopefully we don't have to encounter that again. You know, hopefully if uh, they can be role models of uh, rather than okay it for other players that have the uh, the options, like the Begovic to go play for somebody else, go play for another country, that uh, they become role models of saying, well, no, now's the time that uh, you should choose Canada first. You know, and um, I think that would be a positive because if it keeps happening where players are in that uh, the in-between of deciding that they were born in Canada and did some of their development here in Canada in their formative years, then um, you know we need to evolve beyond that where uh, Canada is uh, first and foremost. The only players that don't end up playing for Canada are the ones that weren't selected because they weren't good enough, so then they go play for another country. So that will take time, but I think that could be a real good, uh, uh, real good opportunity for both these players to... Uh, to come in and play for Canada and then uh, be proud of that and then be salesmen uh, for us. But, you know, somebody mentioned along the way, I've on a message board, you know, and they were saying about what about the current players that are there. And I think that's right. You know, it's about you can't, you know, just uh, automatically if somebody, you know, flicks their fingers and they come in and then it's at the expense of somebody. I mean, somebody's going to be dropped as a result of that. And we need to respect those current players that are part of, uh, of the national team program and, uh, and Therefore, it means that if Junior Hoyler comes in or Jonathan de Guzman comes in, I mean, they really have to uh, give everything they've got, have a great attitude, great character, be very respectful of the uh, other players that have been in the trenches uh, digging their way to 
try and uh, get Canada to be a, a respectable uh, soccer nation. I think that's really important. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with you on that. Um, at the same time, you know, I, we need these players. We saw what happened when, uh, you know, we know players are going to be injured, and we saw what happened with Atiba being away. So, you know, I... I there, there, there's no doubt about that, Steve. And I'll tell you the other thing is, is that as much as I said about the players that will get dropped as a result, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, all Canadian players who are on that team want the best team that they can possibly have. And so when you hear that, uh, you know, a star player is coming in, you, you get excited about it as well. Yeah, the other thing I was getting at, too, with their ages was whether or not Canada qualifies for Brazil 2014. Stephen Hart has been lobbying to bring these two players in. And I'm wondering, you know, if he actually does it, you know, does that change your impression of his long-term legacy? Well, it depends what you mean, what you mean by that, uh, Steve. I mean, I, as much as, uh, you know, I've made comments, I suppose, that you're alluding to that, uh, that I would have, if I was to the Canadian Soccer Association, gone out of side Canada to have got uh, a coach, got a foreign coach in here this time around. They didn't they went with Stephen Hart, um, and I've questioned, uh, you know, that along the way. But um, it doesn't take away the fact that I respect Stephen Hart. First of all, he's got the guts to go out and, uh, and do that job, and uh, and he's got some good performances and had some good results. Uh, I thought they got um, unstuck a little bit in this uh, preliminary uh, round. But overall, you know, I, I would uh, hold Stephen Hart in high regard as far as a technical person. I think he, as I've said before, should have a, a role to play in Canadian soccer no matter what happens with his World Cup job. But in terms of these two players, absolutely. If if Canada ends up getting Junior Hollett and uh, Jonathan de Guzman, it's a real feather in uh, Stephen Hart's cap. Uh, that there's no doubt because it's under his watch. Know, you get two star players that have uh, been leaning towards other countries that Jonathan went to play for uh, for Holland. I would say it's excellent, and I would say the other thing too is, is that um, you know I'm hoping that Julian de Guzman. It sounded like on the interview that um, that he's been persuasive, you know, more persuasive that way to uh, get his brother to uh, make that decision. And I think that's healthy. You know, I'm really real upbeat about it and really excited about um, the fact that we can finally maybe turn this corner and. Um, get some of our best players uh, playing for our national team. Just one one final question for you on the topic of Junior Hoylet. You know, he's one of the up-and-coming players in the English Premier League, and, um, you know, he has the options to play for Canada or Jamaica, and some people have even said in uh, to play for England. Now, for the last few years, he's been very coy whenever he's been asked about which country he'll represent. He always states that he's 100% focused on establishing himself at the club level and isn't even thinking about national team duty. Now, he's out of contract at the end of this season, and most observers feel that Blackburn will not be able to hold on to him. Arsenal, Newcastle, Stoke, and Tottenham have all been rumored as clubs that are serious about acquiring him. You know, which one of those clubs do you think would be the best situation for, you know, a 21-year-old talent like him to continue his time? Before I talk about the clubs, let me just talk about the first part of the question you said there about him saying that... uh, you know, he, he wants to concentrate on his club uh, football and uh, he's not uh, so worried about the international stage. I mean, you know, that's leverage. He's leveraging that, whether it's the family or whether it's him. They're leveraging it. And we have to see it like that. You know, we, we will know when Canada is beginning to evolve and mature as a soccer nation and develop as a, a soccer nation, when players have the pride to want to play for Canada, when a player like Junior Hoyland turns around and there is no decision to make. Because if he was uh, representing Argentina as a 19 or 20-year-old, or he was Argentinian and he, he went over and he was playing for Blackburn, and Argentina caught him in the World Cup team, he would go, period, end of story. So 
So the fact that he's Canadian though and he's over there, we leverage that it's the club and we don't want to, you know, ruffle feathers with the club. It's not that. Deep down, they're uh, they're trying to negotiate in some way to see if the dream can be to play for England. You know, and um, and as I said, when we mature, it will be that uh, a player wouldn't want to play for England because they can play for Canada. We've got uh, maybe a ways to go, but it would be nice to think that um, Stephen Hart can persuade Junior Hoyler to play for us now. All right, so from his standpoint then, if you had to pick one of the four clubs that have been rumored, Arsenal, Newcastle, Stoke, or Tottenham, where would you like to see Junior Hoylett? Well, I mean, Arsenal for sure. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, some of those are rumors, uh, you know, and sometimes you don't know where they're coming from, the agents who are working. And, uh, so I think you need to take it a little bit with a pinch of salt. But uh, from whenever I've seen him on TV with uh, Blackburn, he's done an excellent job. And it looks like Blackburn are one of the favorites to go down. So um, let's just hope he stays in the, uh, in the Premier League because I think it's a great development uh, for him. Okay, well, moving on to, to, to a group of players that have already played for Canada, the Canadian Soccer Association released their nominees for the Canadian Players of the Year Awards on Monday, and I'd like to get your choices for both the senior men and the senior women. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you um, the list of nominees, and then I'm going to give you my pick, and then I'd like to see uh, if you agree with me or if you um, have a different choice. So in the senior men's category, the nominees were Marcel Dion, Dwayne De Rosario, David Edgar, Andre Haino, Simeon Jackson, Will Johnson, Olivier Ocean, Tosane Ricketts, and Josh Simpson. And my pick is Josh Simpson. And the reason, you know, I picked Josh is, you know, he's just tearing it apart in Turkey. And, you know, that league doesn't get a lot of coverage here, but it's a quality league. And I think sometimes those players are overlooked. So, you know, my player of the year is Josh Simpson. I think he, I think he deserves it. Who would your pick be, Paul? I've got a question for you, Steve. Is it uh, based on their international performances or is it international and club? The, the award is based on the combination of both, so that it's their whole year um, combination of club and country performances. Okay, well, it's not so easy to judge the rest of the players on their, their club performances. I mean, we have reports that some of them are doing really well. I really like uh, Josh Simpson. I don't necessarily disagree with you on that. It's uh, he's a great character, and he, he always plays well for uh, for Canada. He's, uh, you know, I thought he did uh, did very well over the last year with any game that he played for, uh, for Canada. So, you know, but the bottom line is, if you're looking at uh, both international performances and uh, and club performances, it's going to be real tough to uh, overlook uh, Dwayne Duzario. Bottom line, you know, I know I'm, uh, you know, uh, tough with uh, with him as far as his character goes, and it's. Uh, attitude uh, sometimes and I stand by that but bottom line is you know when uh, you look at the numbers you look at the performances and influence he had at the club level he doesn't always have it for uh, for Canada to be fair he's, um, you know I think it's a different level the international level and it's uh, it's uh, a greater challenge so as he, as he ages a bit it's not so easy for him to have the impact but, um, but I thought he did well in the last couple of games and uh, for me uh, bottom line I would go with Dwayne Dujan. Okay. You know, certainly, uh, you know, Dwayne's probably has a better than, you know, average chance. Don't, don't try and persuade me uh, to change my mind here. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that he did become uh, Canada's all-time leading scorer, you know, over the past month. So uh, that yeah, probably no, needs to be. That's, uh, again, so that's the international part, you know, he's, uh, he's tied Dale Mitchell on that. So uh, he's, you know, certainly got to surpass it. So, yeah, we'll see what happens, but I would imagine uh, Dwayne will win that. 
Okay. And, uh, you know, moving on to the ladies, I don't think we're going to have any disagreement there. In the uh, senior women's category, the nominees were Candace Chapman, Christina Julian, Kaylin Kyle, Karina LeBlanc, Diana Matheson, Kelly Parker, Sophie Schmidt, Christine Sinclair, and Rianne Wilkinson. Uh, my pick is uh, Christine Sinclair for all of the obvious reasons. Who's your pick and why? Yeah, no, absolutely. And she's class on, on the field, off the field, the way she speaks, her passion for uh, playing for Canada. I just think we need to highlight a few players there. You know, Sophie Schmidt, Kaylin Kyle, who's uh, young. Um, you know, they've done a good job. They've uh, really developed as, uh, as players. And um, from what I've seen, the, uh, the women's program is in good hands with uh, John Herdman. So that's good news. And still, you know, on, at the national team level, the Canadian Soccer Association announced last Friday that former Toronto FC assistant coach and head coach Nick Dasovich has been hired as the new head coach of the Canadian men's under-20 national team. You know, you talked about the lack of positions available to qualified Canadian head coaches in Canada on previous podcasts, so I'm curious as to your thoughts on the news in terms of it being a good opportunity for Nick Dasovich and a positive move that the U20 team now has a coach with Nick's considerable experience. Yeah, well, I'm- I mean, it's been a great week for news, you know, with uh, Jonathan Guzman saying what he said, hopefully Julia Hoylett, and now Nick Dasovich gets hired. I think it's excellent. You know, the Canadian Soccer Association, I was talking with them uh, a couple of months ago, but, uh, you know, maybe that's sort of been part of their uh, long-term planning. You know, you, you never know what goes on behind uh, closed doors, but that's good news, you know, and, uh, and Nick deserves it. I, I'm hoping, based on uh, 20 years of coaching, when what I saw with Nick at... Uh, at Toronto FC, that he's learned a few things from that environment, and certainly when you're an assistant coach, you know, because I, I felt a little bit uh, on edge there with um, how that all came down and the approach. You know, as a coach, you have to have a moral compass, and you should never be assisting anyone. You, you know, you can't go midstream and then bail on your, your head coach. You know, you need to make that decision before you take the job, and if, uh, if it's a tough ride for you, you need to let the season expire and then you move out. So I was disappointed in that, I have to say, but it doesn't take away from the fact that, uh, for me, I think it's an excellent uh, choice because Nick Dasovich, first of all, you know, it's in the media where, you, you know, he talks about going over to Europe and taking his UEFA license and looking for jobs there. I mean, he clearly wants to be a, a lifer as far as being a coach. That's what he wants to do, and he's uh, sacrificing a lot, uh, and he's got great pedigree. Got pedigree from a playing perspective. Uh, I played with him very briefly, and certainly played against him a lot in the old CSL. He's an excellent player. You know, I mean, technically, athletically, but tactically, and boy, oh boy, I mean, he could thread passes and he read the game. So those are good instincts, you know, for a coach. Um, and then, if you look at his, when I talk about pedigree, then you look at coaching development. And there's no better development than, uh, than being an assistant coach. And he's been an assistant coach now for a few people. And uh, we'll learn the positives. We'll learn some of the things he would do differently. And uh, if you don't get that, way too many coaches just go straight into the job and get a head coaching job, and uh, and that's it without assisting. And I, I don't think they will be uh, as developed as what they could have been if they assisted somebody. And Nick certainly has that, and it's uh, definitely with Dale Mitchell at the under-20 level. He knows that level. He's had experience at the World Championships. He's had experience at qualifying. It couldn't be... Uh, a better candidate. And when we talk about Canadian play, uh, sorry, Canadian coaches, you know, in terms of that development, I mean, where do they develop? Where do they develop themselves? I mean, that's the problem. The MLS teams have uh, got the foreigners, which is fair enough and fine. I mean, I understand that now. We need to move on. But uh, you know, when the when the opportunity arises, you know, I'm delighted that the Canadian Soccer Association have, uh, have opened that door for uh, for Nick because now if Nick stayed there, he needs to stay there for at least four years. 
get great experience, uh, you know, develop his ideas on uh, the game itself. And who knows, maybe he'll be the World Cup coach uh, down the road. But if not, I'm sure he'll be able to jump to, uh, to an MLS team uh, as well. I have heard, Steve, through the grapevine, somebody was talking about it the other day in a local community, that um, Colin Miller is being interviewed as well. Uh, I certainly hope I don't hurt his uh, chances by saying this, but uh, he's uh, being looked at to uh, potentially be the, uh, the women's under-20 uh, team coach with uh, John Herdman. So, you know, that would be good news. You know, I certainly don't want to uh, put the gun at CSA's uh, head there with uh, saying that. Um, you know, if he gets it, great. But um, if he does nothing, that's, you know, there will be reasons, I suppose, for that. But if they're thinking along those lines, I think it's great. Because, boy, oh, boy, you know, we talk about our players needing motivation, which they do, and they've got the MLS clubs now, and they've got good academies to come into. But uh, it's the same with coaches. You have to be able to get coaches motivated and uh, have the desire and can see something at the end, you know, where they can uh, be given a chance. So it's great news. And I, uh, I think Nick Dasevich, by the way, this is the first time in many years that uh, – that the under-20s will qualify on the heels of our under-17s uh, prior to that, uh, qualifying and getting world championship experience. So I think he's going to have uh, a decent chance to do well with the under-20s, which will be uh, richly deserved for him. Moving on to uh, the MLS off-season news. Well, we didn't hear any more about the possible return of Pablo Vitti to TFC. Uh, there were several significant pieces of TFC-related news over the past week. An article by Crystal Valencia on MLSsoccer.com broke the story that Toronto C is close to securing the return of Jao Plata to the team next season. While there's not been any official announcement, the article stated that the deal is such that Toronto would sign Plata to a three-year deal, and that instead of inquiring the player outright, TFC would gain 50% of Plata's rights, with his former club in Ecuador having the other 50%. You know, Paul, given that TFC have limited financial resources and also have other areas of the team they need to reinforce, do you think this deal represents a nice piece of creative wheeling and dealing on the part of Paul Mariner and Aaron Vinter? I think so. If they're the ones that uh, sign the contracts and do the negotiating, I think it's, uh, it's good. Paul Mariner is, um, is uh, I, I was assuming that's his role, and if it is, he's done a good bit of business there. And it's, uh, you know, there's many ways to skin a cat these days in the negotiating process. So, you know, that's the, that was always the worry about the transfer fee, about what it was going to cost. Um, but that looks reasonable, you know, to have a uh, uh, 50% stake if he was to move on and there was to be a big transfer fee and they can get him signed and, uh, and playing for TFC for the next three years. I think that's really good news. And it's, um, it shows, again, they have their eye on the ball as far as, you know, the talent that they do have and they're not going to let it go and they're going to fight uh, for these players that are... Uh, in sort of awkward situations like uh, like the plateau was. They didn't own him, so it was always going to be tricky. A uh, great bit of business, I'd say. Yeah, and outside of the business, a good part of that was that, um, you know, I believe Plata has expressed that, uh, that, you know, that a main part of that deal was him really wanting to come back to Toronto. So it's a good thing when players want to be on your yeah, club. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's a good point. You know, it's, um, but I mean, boy, oh boy, when you come, you know, from different parts of the world, no matter where you come from, it's uh, an impressive city, Toronto. Uh, if you're in Vancouver and now Montreal, you know, it's uh, a beautiful place to, uh, to look to live. So, um, you know, it doesn't surprise me, but it's uh, great news. It means he's uh, real passionate about uh, Toronto and will give everything he's got for them. Toronto FC announced on Friday that midfielder Terry Dunfield has undergone successful hernia surgery and is expected to make a complete recovery and will be ready when the team opens training camp on January 23rd. 
you know, you've spoken a lot about Terry's ups and downs over the past year, and I'm wondering if this piece of news changes your perception as to what we might be able to expect from him in 2012. I also think it possibly sheds more light on why Stephen Hart did not select Terry for Canada's two November World Cup qualifiers. Well, you... it, it depends what you mean about the perception. I, I think the uh, perception I had based on the fact that um, you know he's left out of the lineup a bit with uh, Toronto FC or with the uh, Canadian team that maybe his, uh, his career was uh, dwindling a little bit quicker than uh, would be ideal because he still has a few years left. So if you're on about that, I would say yes, it, it, yes, it does because if he's had a hernia operation, that means he's been carrying, um, you know, a, a severe groin problem for uh, for quite some time. And um, I've had personal experience of that, you know, with uh, with uh, always suffering from a bad groin um, situation when I was a player. And it's generally from wear and tear. If you get to the stage where you need a hernia, like you would really, uh, you know. Uh, severe as far as uh, the amount of work that you've done as a player and he's probably overdone it so I, that does change it you know and I, I think it's a reflection of uh, Terry Dunfield's uh, character I have to say this because he hasn't made an excuse he's just got on with it and uh, at the end of the season either I mean that's the attitude of a, of a great character is that uh, they say well I'm just going to play through it and then when I get to the end of the season I'm going to see what's really wrong so what uh, it looks like is that uh, they've investigated and said he's got a hernia and they fixed it. So yes, that's good news. I, I hope that um, you know he will be uh, fresh and raring to go next season and that uh, he can get more playing time with TFC and with the national program. I stand by though that uh, you know with the mix of players that you have, you know, if it's Torsten Frings and June de Guzman and uh, Terry Dunfield, that's a slow. Uh, not the most athletic midfield, so that needs to change somewhere along the line. Same with our national team uh, program. But nevertheless, I think that would, um, you know, I, I maybe mean to re retract that, Steve, when I said it was good news. It's not good news that uh, Terry had um, had a hernia, but it's good news the fact that he is now can be healthy and uh, compete when he's 100%, because I thought he did well even when he was maybe only going 60 70%. Toronto FC also announced last Friday that the club has acquired defender Jeremy Hall from FC Dallas in exchange for a second-round pick in the 2013 MLS Super Draft. Apparently, Hall fits the Aaron Vinter mold in terms of being able to play at a number of different positions. The most interesting thing for me is the fact that Vinter has acquired another former Dallas player. What do you make of that little trend? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's good. First of all, he can uh, play. It doesn't matter if he can play in other positions. Can he play at the back? Answer yes. Get him. And he's been in a really good culture down in Dallas. You know what um, you know, I've said about uh, Charles Hyman before. So, um, you know, he's been in a good culture. He'll be technically decent. And uh, if he's first and foremost, he can defend 1v1. I think it's a great get. They have to uh, look for the little gems to pick up. And if it's any indication what they got, you know, from Dallas before, then uh, this will be a decent player for sure. I think it's, uh, it's great. And they don't give up uh, anything. In the last piece of Toronto FC-related news, uh, the team also announced on Monday that Stuart Neely has resigned from his role as TFC Academy Director. Now, with that position vacant, you would think that Aaron Vinter will be primed to bring in, you know, someone that he's more familiar with, considering that Neely was already in place when the Dutchman was hired around a year ago. With the Whitecaps and Impact having Academy Directors from the Netherlands and France, respectively, do you think TFC's next Academy Director should be an experienced person from Europe? Uh, answer to that uh, part, yes, absolutely. Uh, I would, but in terms of addressing uh, Stuart Neely, I, I was uh, surprised at the news. It didn't look 
reached out based on the comments of, uh, of Anne Binter, which I thought were very positive. So it's uh, an interesting bit of news. I think always round, I hope always round, that it's a good move for everybody. I think for the club it will be, because uh, with no disrespect to Stuart Neely, but they really need somebody pedigree. Uh, and, to, you know, Stuart, who in his own, uh, in his own world would, uh, would be pedigree, you know, in the uh, local community. But I think if you really, truly want to build a team that can compete at the CONCACAF Champions League, at the World Club Championships to compete to win an MLS uh, uh, Cup and develop young Canadian players, then uh, we need to go outside the country to get that at this stage because it would be a different approach and it would be uh, great credibility and respect from the person that runs that, uh, uh, that academy. You know, you definitely need that. And I would say that uh, Vancouver, Montreal are on the ball on that. I'd be very surprised if uh, TFC uh, don't don't go out of the country and hire some, because quite frankly, there's uh, there's not somebody in in Canada with the experience. I mean, definitely got experience, definitely got some decent coaches, but truly to have the vision and can implement the vision of Aaron Binter, you know, at, uh, at the director of an academy is uh, is a very very difficult job, and you need uh, quality experience, as I said, pedigree for that position. I think it's vital because if they're going to be part of the youth development of Canadian players, then uh, the academies in each of the MLS franchises in Montreal, Vancouver, and Toronto are absolutely pivotal that they've run professionally and done well with uh, some real talent being able, to, uh, being able to approach and direct that. And it's not that uh, Stuart nearly uh, in his own right, as I said, uh, doesn't have some uh, ability for sure, but I think we all find our level along the way. We all find our way. I, I hope everything's okay with Stuart Neely based on the uh, resignation. Okay, one final topic for today. You know, out west, Martin Rennie and the Vancouver Whitecaps have been going about their business as well in terms of reloading for their second year in the MLS. You know, they've uh, they traded Jay Nolly to Chicago and they've uh, re-signed Joe Cannon and John Thorrington. And last Tuesday, the team traded midfielder Shea Salinas to the San Jose Earthquakes for allocation money. Now, we've talked a lot about character on past podcasts, and I love the work ethic and the two-way game that Salinas brought to the Caps last season. You know, But I also have to admit that it does need to be stated that he only scored one goal last year. So, Paul, finishing up today, what are your thoughts on the trading of Shea Salinas? I thought it was interesting. You know, just for allocation money, that means they have plans to, uh, to use that money somewhere along the line, maybe to bring in an international player that's uh, not a DP, but just an international player. Um, you know, it's hard to, to gauge. I actually really liked uh, Salinas, so that's what's surprising for me. I thought athletically he was uh, good, he was fast. Uh, he seemed, his character was, uh, was okay, was decent. I think you've maybe, uh, you know, hit the uh, nail on the head, though, with the fact that he, he's not prolific when it comes to scoring. And so uh, there's something missing there. But um, overall, I was a little bit, uh, I was a little bit surprised because I thought he was a useful player, and particularly with pace. He's very direct to he get the ball and he goes right at uh, defenders. But uh, no matter what John Rennie does, I mean Vancouver were uh, you know bottom of the league. So when you're bottom of the league or, or near the bottom, it's uh, you know you have to make changes. So it's hard to get a gauge with uh, with what John Rennie's got in his mind in terms of bringing in players. So when he moves one uh, ones out, you're, um, you know, you're always going to be a little bit skeptical about what he's doing. But uh, just the fact that uh, they're changing their squad. Uh, clearly a good sign for their uh, supporters because uh, whichever way you want to look at it they weren't good enough uh, last year in the personnel department if you have questions that you'd like Paul to address 
please send your email to Paul James at rednationonline.ca. Thank you.